Well, that's the, um, that's the text, verse 46. The Lord Jesus says, I tell you, uh, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things that I tell you? So the title of the message, if you look it up on Sermon Audio, the title of the message is, Do What He Tells You. And if someone says to you today, what did he preach on? He preached on, do what he tells you. And next week, as I know, if someone says to you, what did he preach on? And it was last week. It's like, what testament are we in again? What book? Can't remember the text. But you remember this. The message was about, do what he tells you. When the Lord Jesus says, you call me Lord, Lord, and why do you not do what I tell you? The question, the immediate question is, where do we hear him? Where does Jesus speak? Where do we hear about the words of God? Well, the answer, as you well know, is the Bible. That's where we hear about what Jesus says. And we know that the Lord Jesus came uh, to speak to us because he came as our prophet. And so he speaks to us, tells us the will of God, and, uh, and we have it in the scriptures. We have Jesus' words in the Bible. And the words of the Lord Jesus are not simply the red letter bits in the the Gospels that some of us might have in our Bibles. Mine has red letters. Uh, and I don't like that because that's not all there is to the words of Jesus. The Spirit of Christ inspired and breathed out the whole Bible. And so the whole Bible from cover to cover, all bits of the Bible, that's the words of Jesus. So listen to the Lord Jesus and do what he tells you when you read the whole Bible, that's what Jesus is telling you. So we're thankful then that we have the Bible because that's where Jesus speaks. And we're thankful because we have in this book, we have 66 books. And we also have, I wrote this down because I don't remember numbers, we have 1,189 chapters. We have 31,000 verses. I mean, Jesus says, do what I tell you. Where do you find it? You find it in the Bible. There are 31,000 verses in the Bible. That's how much we have of Jesus' words. Furthermore, we have 807,361 words. I mean, give or take, depending on translations and so forth. But we have over eight. 107,000 words of Jesus in the Bible. That's a lot of words to pay attention to. Jesus says, do what I tell you. Whatever I say, do. So how wonderful that we have the Bible with all of this information about what Jesus has said to us. That's absolutely wonderful. What's more, we not only have the Bible, but we have these Bibles. 
That's wonderful. You have Bibles on your laps and in your hands. That's fantastic. Some of you have it on your phones, and, and that's good too. And that's wonderful because we have the whole Bible. David didn't have the whole Bible. Now we have the whole Bible, Old and New Testament, all that God wants us to know we have. And we have accurate Bibles. Our Bibles, we don't have the original autographs, but we have accurate translations of the Bible. And scribes and translators have been very careful down through the ages, whether the Bibles were handwritten, because they were in the old days, whether they're printed off, subsequent to Gutenberg, they're printed off. We have accurate Bibles. That's great, because it's very important that they be accurate. In the 1600s, there was a Bible printed up in London. Um, it became known as the, uh, the Wicked Bible, because the printers made a mistake about a verse in Exodus, in Exodus 20. And they left out the word not. So the seventh commandment read, Thou shalt commit adultery. Uh, he, he lost his job. They, they took away his license to print, and he ended up in debtor's prison. Sad story, actually. So it's very important to have accurate Bibles. We have, we have accurate Bibles. And we have Bibles with verses. Um, when, when Jesus was talking about Exodus 3, 6, he was interacting in, in Mark with the, the Pharisees, and he was, was telling them about something that happened in the book of Exodus, chapter 3 and verse 6. And, but he, he didn't say in Mark, he didn't say, well, do you remember Exodus 3, 6? He said, do you remember the book of Moses at the bush? That's literally what he says. Because there are no verses for the Lord Jesus to refer to. In, um, in the 1600s, the Geneva Bible is printed. That's the first Bible from cover to cover that has verses. And so we should not just uh, take it for granted. We should be thankful that, uh, that we can memorize verses and say, oh, I, I remember John 3.16. And so we have Bibles like that. We have Bibles that are inexpensive. I mean, you can download free Bibles. You can buy wonderful copies of the Bible, really, really cheap. There are some translations of the Bible that what's called the uh, Codex Sinaiticus, I think. It's, it would have cost, printed in the 4th century, it, it would have cost about a year's salary to, just to print that up. And then, um, or, or to produce it. And, and there are Bibles in, uh, in Florence that are in libraries where they're chained. In, you know, years and years ago, they were, books were so precious because they took so long and so labor-intensive um, that they were chained so that people wouldn't steal them. You can still see them uh, today, actually. And so um, we have these Bibles. We have accurate Bibles. We have, we have Bibles that uh, have verses, and, and we can download them free. So we're wonderfully privileged. So how extraordinary then that Jesus should say, you call me Lord, Lord, and you don't do what I tell you. That's absolutely astounding. Well, that's what we're going to think about. And uh, I want to ask three questions. First of all, why should you do what he tells you? The second question is, Will you do what he tells you? And the third question is, 
what happens when you do what he tells you? All right? So that's where we're headed. The first question is, why should you do what he tells you? Well, parents expect that children will obey, right? Parents expect that when you say something, the children will do it. I can talk about Jessica because she's not here. And um, when she was about a year and a half, we were living in Kingston and she was running towards an intersection ahead of us. And obviously there's danger, so I said, Jessica, stop! What do you think she did? Did she stop? No? <laughs> I'll tell Mrs. Jessica what you said. <laughs> Thankfully, that was one of the rare occasions in her first few years when she did obey. I sure hope she's not watching. She is? Uh, she is? Oh, dear me. Just kidding. <laughs> I must say, when I... Um, no, I won't go down that rabbit trail. But... Um, that's what we expect. And parents expect children to obey. God expects you to obey. And when Jesus speaks, he expects you to do what he tells you. Well, why should you? Well, first of all, because he's Lord. You call me Lord, Lord. Why do you not do what I tell you? When he says Lord, he's not saying you call me sir. Sometimes the word Lord means sir, but not here. With a certain amount of passion, they're saying Lord, Lord. When you find the word repeated, it suggests some kind of intent, some kind of passion. You call me Lord, Lord. You're acknowledging that I am God. You're acknowledging that the divine name should be applied to me. The Jews didn't want to say Yahweh, and so they would substitute the word Lord. You call me Lord. You say I'm like the God of the Old Testament. You say I and the Father are one. You're saying that kind of thing. You're saying what Thomas said when Thomas would later say, my Lord and my God. You're saying what Peter would say. God has made him both Lord and Christ. You're saying what the scriptures say when they call Jesus the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. You say, I'm Lord. Why don't you do what I tell you? That's what the Lord Jesus is saying here. In John 13, 13, Jesus says, you call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. So they're right to say, Lord, Lord. But what follows ought to be that they do what he says. And so he's speaking to you today. If you say, well, you know, I, Jesus is Lord. Well, you're right. So why don't you do what he says then? When you think of Jesus as Lord, Lord, you're thinking of him as grand as glorious, as infinite, as majestic. Listen to the words of um, Jonathan Edwards. He says, Christ, this Lord Jesus who is speaking here, who says you ought to do what he tells you, 
He says he's a person of infinite majesty. It is he that is spoken of in Psalm 45. Gird thy sword upon thy thigh, O most mighty, with thy glory and majesty. It is he that is mighty, that rides on the heavens. It is he that is terrible out of his holy places, who is mightier than the noise of many waters, before whom a fire goes and burns up his enemies. It is he who sits on the circle of the earth, and all the inhabitants thereof are as grasshoppers. It is he who rebukes the sea. He makes and dries up the rivers. His eyes are a flame of fire. The wicked shall be punished with everlasting destruction before him. He is the blessed and only potentate. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. So when they say, and when you say, Lord, Lord, well, absolutely you need to do what he says. Well, because he's Lord. And then you ought to do what he tells you because he's loved. He's Lord and he's loved. If you say, Lord, Lord, as most of us do, you're speaking to the one you love. And the Lord Jesus has become to you the fairest of 10,000, the lily of the valley, the rose of Sharon, the altogether lovely one. He's become that to you. You didn't love him before, but now you do. You couldn't care less before, but now he's all you care about. When you call him Lord, Lord, then you know, you'll love him. And so you do what he says. Because Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. This is how we manifest our love. And we read, for instance, in the book of, of 1 John, this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and they are not burdensome. In John 14, 15, Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey my commands. So the Lord Jesus is the savior of the world. He's the one able to save us from our sins. And he's the one who, by virtue of what he did on Calvary, he's able to save sinners like us and able to deliver you from the judgment that will surely come upon those who are strangers to God and who are still in their sin. And so the Lord Jesus then, the Savior of the world, is the one we love. And we serve him because we love him and we do what he tells us because we love him. It's not a burden to us. Sometimes people think Christianity is a drag. It's a delight, isn't it? It's a delight to serve the Lord Jesus Christ because we, well, we love him. John Owen said, the saints delight in Christ. He is their joy, their crown, their rejoicing, their life, their food, their health, their strength, their desire and righteousness and salvation and blessedness. And without him, they have nothing. And in him, they find all things. So why should we do what he tells us? Well, we do what he tells us because he is Lord. And we do what he tells us because he is loved. And so we want to go from here later on with a determination, with a renewed commitment to do everything he tells us because he's Lord and because he's loved. Second, second question. Will you? Will you obey him? Like, will you do what he says? And if you're not a Christian, what I'm saying is, will you now, in response to this, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ for your eternal salvation? Will you do that? You should because he's Lord and you should because 
you should be loved. And will you go from here, if you're a Christian, with a renewed determination to obey him because you know he's Lord and because you do love him? So will you do that? The fact of the matter is that when we're in church or when we're under the word, whether you're under the word in your devotions or whether you're under the word in a church service, it's easy to avoid doing what he tells us. There are ways to avoid doing what he tells us. And I'm going to suggest a few ways, not by way of suggesting that you practice them, but just by way of acknowledging that it happens. How can you avoid doing what he tells you when the word is being ministered or you're reading it? How do you avoid in church doing what he tells you? Well, first of all, by not listening. Because like, you cannot listen even though you're listening, even though you're sitting in church, even though your eyes are open, even though you're looking at me. You know, Bill Payne used to say, sometimes people in church, they look like, you know, he says you drive along, you see cows with their heads over the fence, and they're just looking like that. Sometimes, sometimes that's what I see, <laughs> to be frank. I mean, good looking and all, but still, you know, you can sit in church and, and look like that, intent, Bible open, thinking about Boy, that roast is going to be so good. Um, so you can, you can kind of sit there and not listen at all. And I know that because I've done it myself. So you cannot listen. And you cannot listen because you're fast asleep. I mean, that happens too. Um, and I, I've, I've been tired and come to church and, and fallen asleep. I'm not knocking people. But I just say, that's a way to avoid doing what he tells you because, like, I didn't hear what he told me. So you can do that. You can um, apply it to others. You know how you think in your head, you say, well, boy, I sure hope that she's listening to this because she really needs to hear this. I hope that he is listening carefully to that application there because of all people in the church, that's the... That's what he needs to learn. So you can apply it to others. Uh, you can also criticize the preacher. Oh, he's a, he's, a, he's a bad preacher. Or, you know, he's, he's wearing a bad tie. You, know, just, you can do that. You can criticize. Or you can also praise. You can be so caught up in, oh, what a wonderful message. You can be like the people in Ezekiel. Remember this? Ezekiel 30, 33. God says to Ezekiel, they hear what you say, but they will not do it. You're like, you are to them like one who sings, sings songs with a beautiful voice. For they hear what you say, but they will not do it. You can do that. You can go out and say, oh, you should have heard. You should have heard that message. Oh, it was wonderful. And, but you, you don't actually do it. And you think that all that's needed is to say, oh, that's a wonderful message. But I can tell you, any preacher worth his salt doesn't give one whip for that kind of praise if the word isn't going to be obeyed. Or you can procrastinate. Oh, you know, you say, that was good. That was good. And, you know, it was, it was an arrow that pierced me and 
That was a blow well struck. That was good. I need to do this and that and the other. But then you say, well, you say, procrastination is my curse. It brings me pain and sorrow. I really must be thankful that he's taken the time to do this, to call you. So will you do what he says even though you're young, even though you're old? And, and will you do what he says when it comes to all areas? And so there are bits that Jesus says that, you know, we're, we're happy to agree with that. But there's sometimes when he says things that, in his word, that are kind of awkward. So will you do what he says when it comes to, say, what Jerry Bridges called respectable sins? Things that, that we're quite happy to have coexist with all the righteousness in our lives. We're quite happy to live with these things because, you know, we're not, I'm not a murderer. You're, you're not an adulterer. You're not a, somebody who's uh, breaking the law breaking and entering houses. You're not a thief. You're not a... But there are things that you say, well, I'm quite willing to put up with this. And Jerry Bridges writes a book that he calls Respectable Sins. Sins that we're quite happy to to live alongside of or to have live within us. Things like... Things like pride. Things like uh, gossip. And we, we baptize gossip, we call it sharing. And we say, well, I'm just sharing a, yeah, I'm sharing a prayer request with you. Pray for so-and-so. Because I heard uh, things like envy. Sometimes uh, Christians envy other Christians because other Christians maybe are more useful. They envy them because, you know, God's blessing their work more than he's blessing yours. Uh, there's jealousy because other people in the church are blessed beyond what you're blessed with. And you don't like the fact that they have those kinds of things. Maybe it's usefulness or maybe it's money or maybe it's all kinds of material things. Why should they? I mean, I'm as righteous as they are. I'm as serious a Christian. Maybe I'm more serious as a Christian than they are. But they have all of that. Have you seen their house? I mean, really? With a pool and all. Where do they get off being that blessed? And how could God do that? So then the sin of of discontent. I'm just not happy with, with my lot. And not only am I discontent with my lot, I'm not happy that your lot's better than my lot. I'm not content with your situation because it's better than mine. You know, so Bridges says these are respectable sins, but Jesus says, you know, you need to be content. You need to be humble. You need to talk in such a way as is edifying. We need to be righteous in all areas of our life. There was a man named Richard Rogers, and um, he was uh, in the 60s, one of the Puritans, and he was spending time that day with a, one of the, the lords of the manor, you know, and, and, and by all accounts, he was a righteous, wonderful, friendly, kind man, and, but the lord of the manor <clears throat> said to him at some point, he says, oh, he says, Mr. Rogers, uh, you're, a, you're a wonderful man, but you are so precise. What he meant by that is, 
He thought this guy was picky. You know, he's trying to be righteous in every area of his life. Every area. And uh, he says, oh, you're so precise. So Rogers responds by saying, well, I, I serve a precise God. You know, Jesus wants you to do whatever he says. Not just the bits that you like. Do whatever he says. If you serve a precise God. You serve a God who is concerned that you do all he says and that you be righteous in all your ways and in all your words. Are you a, a, a diligent student of the word, for instance? You know, do all that Jesus says. So I want to get to know all that he says. I want to learn all that he's telling me. I want to be familiar with all of his commands and all of his principles. So I want to be a diligent student of the word. I want to be like Mary Jones. She was eight years old. And if you've never read the story of Mary, Mary Jones, you should read it for yourself and then read it to your children and have them read about it. She was six years old when she was converted, and uh, she didn't have a Bible. So she, she worked for eight years to save up money. And then when she had enough money to buy a Bible, she lived in Wales, and, and um, the only place she could buy the Bible was, I think, 26 miles away. So she walked there, early teens. She walked there, and she walked barefoot. She gets her Bible, and, and all of that eventually leads to just a, a wonderful work of God in her life and in Wales. So you say to yourself, well, there's, there's a child who's a diligent student of the Word. So are you that kind of diligent student of the word who wants to be and is determined to be so familiar with God's words that you will uh, study all that he says and be familiar with the, well, the Bibles that we are so privileged to have. Will you do all that he tells you? Will you even submit? You see, because doing the will of God is not just doing this and not doing that being into the word and familiar with the word, but listen to Jeremiah Burroughs. He says, in active obedience, we worship God by doing what pleases him. Well, we want to do that, and always. But by passive obedience, we worship God by being pleased with what God does. So being submissive. So if God doesn't give us, people from New Street here, if God doesn't give us that building, well, we'll submit to that. And if God doesn't give you what you want in any particular area that might come to your mind right now, and God doesn't give you what you want, you'll submit to that. That's how you please God. That's how you do what Jesus tells you. It involves submission. Well, will you do what he says? Will you do it? in the areas that pop into your head now. And will you pray the way Jesus told us to pray, where we pray, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So when God sends the angel to go to Daniel to give Daniel a message, the angel doesn't say, well, you know, I'm checking my calendar, and I think like two weeks Thursday, I'm free. I'll do it. I'll do it on that, not a day sooner because, you know, I'm tied up. 
Now, when Jesus says, pray this way, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, let me, let us do what Jesus tells us the way the angels do. At immediately, entirely, completely, gladly, joyously, with a sense of privilege and honor. So will you do what Jesus tells you? And then lastly, um, what happens when you do what Jesus tells you? What happens when you do what Jesus tells you? Well, first of all, let, let me tell you what happens when you don't do what Jesus tells you. Um, you know, the rest of the passage talks about um, that little parable. The rich man built his house upon the rock. And you know the song that was based on that. So the rich man built his house upon a rock. And then the poor man, sinful man, unbelieving man, he built his house upon the sand. And um, the rains come, and the floods come, and the, oh, the house built on the rock stands, and the house built on the sand is destroyed. And so the song goes on to say, so build your house on the Lord Jesus Christ. Make him your foundation. So that's the song, and it's a nice song. Um, it's not actually the truth of what this passage is talking about. This passage isn't telling us, make sure that you build your house on Jesus. Make sure that you build on Jesus as your foundation. It's actually saying, if you say you're a Christian, do what Jesus tells you. Because faith without works is dead. And if, you're that, if yours is that kind of faith, you're going to be destroyed. That's what it's saying. Listen to, uh, to J.C. Ryle. Ryle says, the object of the parable is not to teach the doctrine of justification by grace through faith. We tend to think about it that way. Like, Jesus needs to be your foundation. And that's true. But it's not what the text is saying. The object of the parable is not to teach the doctrine of justification by grace through faith, but the folly of Christian profession unaccompanied by Christian practice and the certain ruin to which such profession must lead if persisted in, that Christ is the true rock in which we must build our hopes and that there is no other rock in which we can stand is abundantly taught elsewhere. That's not the lesson of the passage before us. The passage before us is saying, faith without works is dead. The passage before us is saying, do what Jesus tells you. And if you're not that kind of person, the person who says, Lord, Lord, and he does what Jesus tells him, if that's not the general tenor of your life, if you're the kind of person who says, Lord, Lord, and then you just don't care, and you just don't do what he tells you, well, that profession is empty and will lead to destruction. That's what Jesus is saying. So what happens when you don't do what he tells you? Well, a life where you don't do what Jesus tells you manifest the fact that to you he's not Lord you're still Lord of your life and Jesus says the ruin will be great uh, the ruin you face 
will be terrible. You remember perhaps in 2 Thessalonians 2, uh, 2 Thessalonians 1, Paul says that for those who do not obey the gospel, that is, they, they choose not to believe in Christ, maybe they say, oh, he's, he's God all right, and yeah, he's the Savior for sure, but you never believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. You don't obey the gospel. Paul says, God will destroy you in hell forever. So what will happen if you don't do what he tells you? <coughs> terrible things. So that's why we plead with you to do what Jesus tells you. And if you're, if you're not a Christian, the first thing, the number one thing he tells you is flee from destruction. Come to me, he says, and I will save you. Do what he says. Accept the invitation. Obey the command. Listen to the call. And come to him, whether you're young or old. That's what happens if, if you don't obey. That parable tells us. What happens if you do obey? If you do whatever he tells you, well, you say, the fact of the matter is, I can't do what he tells me. You feel weak. Well, if that's what you say, well, we all understand that. We all feel really, really weak. But the wonderful thing is this. God gives us grace to obey. When you become a Christian, now that you're a Christian, the Spirit of God lives within you, and he helps you. He helps us to trust and obey. Augustine said this. He said, give what you command, O Lord, and then command whatever you will. He says, give what you command. What he means by that is, work in us to will and to do of your good pleasure. Give us the ability to do what you command us. To put it another way, he's saying, Lord, help me to do what he tells me. You're saying, Father, help me to do what your son says. You're saying, Lord Jesus, by your spirit, help me to obey all your commands. So, of course, we're not able to do what he tells us. Left to ourselves, you just can't do it. And Jesus himself says, apart from me, you can do nothing. And we know this by experience, too. We've tried. It seems to me that for myself, I got burnt out twice in my life the first time to a large degree because I was trying to serve the Lord without, without seeking his help. I was just busy doing churchy stuff and neglecting prayer because I was so busy with doing the Lord's work. And it led to, to a burnout. And I read Dr. Lloyd-Jones' book, Spiritual Depression, he says, if you, he says in, in that book, he says, if you try to do the Lord's work in your own strength, it'll crush you. I, I, I've tried to do that. <laughs> I got crushed. Don't try to walk away from this and say, okay, I'm going to do what the Lord Jesus tells me. That's a good desire, but don't try and do it on your own. Don't try and do it in, in the strength of your determination. 
You can't. You'll fall flat on your face. You need to be in the Word and at the throne of God, asking his, seeking His help. He can help you. So when you do that, listen to what, uh, to what we read in the book of Joshua. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. When you're determined to do what the Lord wants you to do, well, you'll be blessed. God will make your way prosperous. It doesn't mean that, you know, you'll get the boat. I mean, it's going to be a cruiser. It's going to be fantastic. You get the car and you get the pool. And you can't wait now to obey Jesus because, boy, it's going to look really good. That's not the prosperity that Jesus is talking about in that Joshua text. No, he's talking about his blessings, the blessing of his presence, the blessing of his power, the blessing of joy, the blessing of peace, the blessing of his hand upon your labors and your efforts to, to serve him, the blessing of being fruitful, terms of your character, the blessing of being fruitful in terms of your labors. God might use you to win others to Christ, to edify the saints. You might go through tribulation. You might find yourself in the jaw of the crocodile. But that's okay. You'll be like, you know, the, the men who were in the furnace. And one like the Son of Man was there with them. You'll be blessed. There's no other way, you see, to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Why should you obey? Why should you do all that he tells you? Well, because he's Lord and because you love him. So will you do it in all areas of your life? Well, absolutely, I'm sure that we'll determine today we want to go away with a renewed commitment to do all he tells us. What's going to happen when we go and with renewed determination try and, and do all he tells us by the help of his spirit? Don't forget that last little bit. When you do that, you'll know the blessing of God. Perhaps in ways you've never known before. 